Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. The silver lining to all to any sort of trauma is wisdom. Mm. It's bar graph. It's the payoff. The more the trauma, probably the more the wisdom, right? The more um, you build a more palette to deepen your understanding uh, of people, humanity, you know, what questions to ask. You're no longer afraid to ask any of them, you know, um, before I put my time and energy behind anything, I need to feel 100% comfortable, not 99%. 100% my gut has to be on board. And if it's not on board, I will exhaust questions that make my gut feel okay about what it is I'm participating in. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. My name is Eric Skwarzynski, and of course, you're listening to the Preacher Boys podcast, a podcast dedicated to shedding light on mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. While I often talk to survivors within the IFB, I also like to talk to people who have been in some other groups that my next guest might just call a little bit culty. And on today's show, I'm going to be bringing in Sarah Evanson, author of the incredible book Scarred and star of the HBO docuseries The Vow, along with her husband, Anthony Ames, or as he likes to be called, Nippy. And we're going to talk about how to identify red flags, their time within Nexium, how incredibly smart, intelligent, powerful people can get drawn into a cultish environment. And we're going to talk about their decision not just to leave silently, but to blow things up when they walked away from a cult. You're really going to appreciate this conversation. Sarah and Nippy are absolutely incredible, and I love getting to spend an hour chatting with them. I know you will as well. I I really think my biggest takeaway from The Vow, and I think everybody's who watched it, was a lot of really strong, smart, intelligent, driven people can get sucked into some of these cultish groups or culty, as you guys call them. And uh, why do you think that is? Why do you think strong people, people that have an idea of a big career, have big dreams, can be such easy targets for cultish groups? I don't know. It's it's a... It's a nuanced question. I mean, sucked in and all those things are are, are, are words that I kind of have an aversion to. I, I think everyone can I think every most everyone came in thinking they're they're doing something good for themselves. 
Um, and the world eventually. eventually the world. Yeah. I mean, that was ultimately what, what the con was. Um, you know, I think anyone who, who has a friend or is, is vulnerable to trusting someone else or vulnerable to maybe thinking they're doing something noble, you know, people mm -hmm. get into religions for that. Um, I think the difference between say religion and something like this might be, we were indoctrinated. Whereas you go to religion, you're the tenets of the religion are normally the thing that's attractive to you. And right. it's a tacit contract that you're going, yeah, this is something that's interesting to me. I'm going to go learn these principles and I'm going to peace out or I'm going to do it once a week or, or something like that. Right. I think most people, when they were going to go take our training, thought they were doing a five day training and that was pretty much it. And I didn't think they were joining a big thing necessarily. I didn't think they were joining anything. And I think that's kind of the first abuse of power that goes on is because it's not sold in any compassion like that. In fact, it's sold to you that you're becoming better and who doesn't want to become better. Yeah. You know, right. and there are some people, but you know, the narrative is even the couch potato wants to be better in some right. capacity. They want the best potato chips. They want the best TV shows. It's always looking to improve. It's a, it's a human thing to want to do that. And a human thing to want to strive to do that. And if someone's offering you that, and it seems in line with what you do and you trust that person or you trust that group of people in some cases, then it looks benign and peripherally it is benign because the closer you got to the center was where it became more extreme and the extreme, the extremism of it is ultimately what people on the fringes didn't sign up for. And, and their capacity to make that discrepancy and take it down is what motivated them to take it down. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, no, really, so it's, but, it's, it's a slow burn really yeah, essentially. Yeah, it's, it's letting yeah. it kind of build up. And, that, and that's the scary thing about, like watching the vow is we got done with the first, I think it was like first two episodes and my wife kept looking over. She's like, is this it? She's like, is this, is this all it is? Cause I would join this. Like this doesn't seem bad at all. And you know, I was sitting there and I knew the full extent of the story, at least on a broad level. And I was like, mm -hmm. well, just buckle up. Cause I said, I know it's going to get worse than what we're seeing right now, sure. but on the surface, it just looks like, you know, some of the, the NLM kind of, or the NLP kind of stuff. It looks, mm -hmm. it looks like just self-improvement really at the yeah. baseline. But, um, but that, that's why I thought it was interesting with your interview with Stephen Hassan on your show, as he talks about that, he's like a, a religion lays out all their tenants up front. Whereas Nexium, it seemed like it was this constant evolution of like, okay, we're moving a little bit further, pushing mm -hmm. a little bit further and, uh, and so on and so forth. And so. there was natural mm -hmm. resistance to that. People were like mm -hmm. another training, like yeah. it wasn't extremism in the way that you see other cults, you mm -hmm. know, I could leave. Yeah. I did leave. I left for three years, you know, um, there was obligatory <clears throat> tactics and stuff like that. And right. some people were more susceptible to those than others, but you have to understand the culture um, varied from case to case, person by person. Mm -hmm. And, and I would even say center by center, you know, I don't right. feel like the Vancouver center was very and, different. And the Mexico city center was very different, you know? Um, so, you know, to say, to, to point, out an abuse in one center, it might not be going on somewhere else and someone could deny mm. it. And there's plausible deniability. So, and there was also people that were coming peripherally. Most people, I can't tell you how many people texted us and go, dude, we got a lot out of it. What happened there? We ran into someone um, last weekend who was, who was shocked to hear this happen. Right. You know, they love the five day, they apply it to their, their relationship there. And they actually cite some of the stuff in it. That was good. Um, 
So there's a lot of people that got that out of it. Um, the closer you got to the center of Keith, the worse and more abusive it became. Um, so, you know, there's, there's all kinds of, of stories about this. And ultimately I think anything good out of it that people got, you could get elsewhere right. probably for cheaper in a quicker amount of time. I would sure. guess, I would guess. Yes, definitely two points just to add to what Nippy said is that, you know, cults can't run and essentially they're organizations. Like we weren't, we didn't think we were in a cult, obviously, but we thought it was an organization and they, it was run by people who were hardworking, intelligent. Um, and, and those things can't run and keep going with a bunch of stupid, weak people. <laughs> like it doesn't, it can't function that way. In fact, right. some of the people who remain loyal have double Ivy league degrees in terms of like, if you're looking at intelligence that way. Um, so it's not, and it, when, and again, back to the word sucked in, we're sucked in because we're being lied to about what the nature mm. of this organization is. But we, we, when we joined, we're taking a training and, you know, we had people from all walks of life, different backgrounds, taking the training, moved on with their life, didn't continue to go up the stripe path. So when it, the people like myself who went up the stripe path and Nippy as well, although he was less obedient as I was, I was more of a, sh more of the sheep um, follower, you know, that's where I would say I got sucked in, but I was buying into a dream. I was buying into a vision mm -hmm. of, of this martial arts sort of karate system that would help me with my self-esteem and my growth and my happiness. I bought into a false vision, or as I say in my book, the illusion of hope. So what is that? You know, I don't, I don't call that a weakness. It's a vulnerability. If you're looking at what made me vulnerable, I think that's important for everybody who gets involved in these things or susceptible or susceptible. Yeah, uh, yeah. To this methodology, I wanted community. I wanted purpose. I wanted meaning. So if those are vulnerabilities, you know, I don't care. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. It's just, it is important to, to recognize like what the draw is for you personally. Otherwise, people repeat the pattern again in another type of relationship or another type of group, you know, cult yeah. hoppers. Well, all the things you said, aren't bad mm -hmm. things to want, you know, no. want, wanting, community, wanting support. Um, but, but you mentioned a lot in the book, it gets mentioned in the documentaries, like that idea of wanting to find your purpose that gets exploited and uses leverage because if For you sure. think someone has the key to fulfilling that in the independent Baptist world, a lot of times the terminology gets used is, do you want to find the will of God for your life? And usually we always joke, that means what does the pastor want you to do? Where does he want you to go to college? Right. Who does he right. want you to yeah. marry? And right. so, you know, a lot of times that good desire gets kind of twisted on us. And I saw that happen with, with the two of you. Uh, Leah brought it up in her episode with you, is that all those things were already there. The desire to help people was already there. Mm -hmm. It's just, it got used in a Nexium setting to say, mm -hmm. oh, use that desire for my purposes, as opposed to what you're using now, which is helping people kind of get out. Well, we, it got abused. And, yeah. and Yanya Lalich's book, I think we have an interview coming up with her. She has a book called Take Back Your Life. And when I got out, I read it. And it, was, it wasn't more than 20, 30 pages in before she had quantified the specific abuse that applied to me. And she called that moral injury, which is mm -hmm. pretty much what you described. They use your principles to um, accelerate their own agenda. Right. Um, and look, once I read it, I knew that's what it was. I got my diagnosis. You know, Sarah's is more community. Mine was more just like my principles, my goodness got used. And I, when I found out I was aligned with it, he had us to reconcile with, you know, and that was kind of 
you know what what that's what happens when you do that you know i mean so we were pissed <laughs> just to say right. yeah no you you mentioned uh, in the in the vow you said uh, emotional abuse is harder to quantify it's harder to prove yeah and um, you kind of just allude to that again. And yeah, so yeah. I, I guess for someone listening, because I actually was talking to someone, you know, Liam, I was getting ready to do the interview and they were talking about, they're like, they're like, I get it. They're like, they were saying, I understand the horrible stuff, but they were saying, you know, where do you draw the line between someone making a decision as a 26 year old or 27 year old versus someone, you know, being abused. And I said, like, I just told them, I said, well, I, I said, you need to read Stephen Hassan's book. Cause I said, there's a, there's a lot there. Like there's a lot more to it than just making a decision. But um, when do you qualify it as someone manipulating you? When do you say, okay, this is stepping over a line and manipulating someone as opposed to someone, you know, offering something and saying, Hey, try this or, or do this. This might, this might help you. I, I, again, I'd say that's case by case. Um, like when the person that approached me, I'd known since I was 15 years old. Wow. I dated them. Her. And her. <laughs> them. Them. I dated her. Right. So just to be clear. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> um, and I even said, I was like, I'm not doing your cult. It sounds weird. Mm-hmm. And she told me that like her parents did her had done it. And I was like, wait, your your dad and mom did it? Like I known them. And I was like, all right, well, it can't be that bad. Right. And I went and it was weird, but it had some really good stuff in it. It was I could apply it to my life and I treated it kind of like an athlete treats a gym. I treated it like, you know, I'm going to go and work on my goals weekly. And I did that for about a year and a half and I left. I was like, this is good. I got good stuff, but I didn't want to make it my life. I wasn't interested in the mission and I felt like someone else can do that. And it wasn't what I want to spend my time doing. Um, And then I was invited back for a project, a film project years later. So my indoctrination is different than say someone else's. I came back for work um, and I didn't really want to make it my life. And then I saw it had grown a lot and there was a lot of people and it had really kind of, I felt like I was being proved wrong. It just, I don't want to interrupt, but I wanted to answer specifically what, when is it manipulation versus somebody saying, Hey, check this out. To answer that part of it, I would say it depends on the, if the person's being honest with you or not. And are they lying? Yeah, they're lying. And with with like for us, like I was a, a big recruiter. I told a lot of people about it, and I still to this day feel very, you know, obviously I feel terrible that I brought people into something that ended up being what it was. But I know for myself that when I said, "Hey, check this out. This is good," that was true for me because mm-hmm. I didn't know the behind the scenes. Keith and the people around him were actively lying. And that's manipulation. When there's a deceit, when there's a lie, that is bad. That is a bad lie <laughs> to use their own terminology. Cause they would say in what makes a cult, a cult, because they, they said to us, people are going to say you're in a cult. And, the, and then we were taught to say, well, a cult, um, you know, the connotation there is just something bad happening versus right. like a group of people who are devoted to a cause and they're like-minded because they're good cults, right? Like the good right. culty, good culty cults. Yeah devoted to whatever leggings or whatever. Um, but the, the lie there, I couldn't see what the bad thing was like, are, you know, are we hurting anybody? No. Are we, are we lying? No. Is there any money being stolen? No, I couldn't see any of those things. If we're shaving heads and drinking goat's blood, wearing white robes. No, they're all the things you think of with cults. So, but they did know the bad thing, which was that you know, Keith had a polyamorous lifestyle and was sleeping with, with the majority of the upper ranks and a, and a lot of his students. And that's, 
Oh, that was a lie. Yeah. So the manipulation was, we're going to give you this good personal growth, which is good. And then you're, you're sucked into this world and then you're ripe for abuse and being mentored by the leader, but because you idolize him and trust him, you're going to say yes, thinking it's for your growth by then it's too, you're too far in. Right. I never got that far. Thank goodness. But that's, that's a manipulation. It's a trick. It's a bait right. and switch. I'm, I'm curious, Sarah, your, your yeah. parents were therapists. You mentioned, mm-hmm. um, do you think that helped you identify some of the red flags as, as early as you did? Or do you think it's something that made you a little bit more susceptible? Uh, Was that something where you were used to talking a little bit deeper about feelings think, and emotions and things. Yeah, I think both. It made it made me ripe in that I was open to these things and I I liked the world. Um it was it was it was a detriment in that, you know, it was part of the way I was raised and then as I individuated was like, you know, I'm going to do my own thing and I found this method and it was sort of a bit of a I'm going to, sh- you know, because they were skeptical, rightfully yeah. so, and I was like, well, no, you're wrong. Keith is good you know, and I was righteous about that in a way a kid was going to be like, no, I'm going to get my nose pierced. Right. Mm-hmm. This is like part of me doing Nexium. I don't think I've ever really talked about this too loudly. It's, and I don't even know if it's in my book was part of me, like, you know, stating my own path mm-hmm. and individuating in that way. So it was a bit of both, but they definitely, the red flags were for sure there, the cheesiness of it and the sort of like personal development, like let's talk about our feelings, but then it seemed to be more cut to the core, which I liked. Yeah. Did, did either of you have a religious background at all? Because I looked at, I looked at it and was like, I could, to me, a lot of it seemed like church retreats and small groups. And it seemed like mm-hmm. a lot of it felt very religious, even though it was kind of the cheesy self-help seminar. Like when I would see Keith sit down in a circle and like talk about, you know, how men are different. And like, we're, I was like, this feels very familiar. It's like Bible so, camp. Yeah. It felt like, a, yeah. And literally summer camp, I was like, you guys go off to summer camp and you have like your speaker there. And you like, to me, I was like, is it, is it, it seems like church for people that don't go to church. Like, it seems like there, there was kind of. this, this kind of realm where it was like, okay, we're going to go, go off retreat. We've got this leader, you know, like it, it just, I was curious if like there was any religious background that made that an no. easier fit. You know? <laughs> Neither of us were grew up religious. I mean, I, we both celebrated Christmas. My dad was uh, atheist, but his parents were Anglican. Okay. Um, so he, he was like, had a lot of religion in his life and then rebelled against it and was very much like, we're celebrating Christmas, like never mentioned Jesus or God or anything. Yeah. And then my mom was Jewish, uh, but also very, kind of like alternative left-wing reform. We didn't really do anything churchy and, but I ended up, I did have a bat mitzvah. I did go to synagogue and, and learned a little bit, but like, I, I, I didn't have a, a God presence necessarily no. in my life. In fact, that was something that I didn't even really know what that meant until I was much older. Um, but I did go to Jewish camp and Jewish camp um, ha- was very similar to the mm-hmm. vibe of like V week and Vanguard week and the mm-hmm. kind of the circle and the dancing and the community. So I think that did feel good for me. I felt very much like I'd found a tribe of people that were, um, yeah, but goes back to community again, always mm-hmm. belonging, feeling I was part of something a little group. So many people join churches, you know, yeah. it's, it's, they want to be a part of that, part of that community. Um, yeah, yeah. I was, I, I'm always shocked because like, I, I was listening to Leah, she, she grew up in Scientology, you know, when you, she, she was born and raised in it, you know, um, my background, I grew up, I was grew up within this movement. And like, for me, the work has been undoing 
20 years of like learning one specific way and like everyone else is wrong. Yeah. But I'm always fascinated by people that come into it at, you know, Nippy, you were 26 jumping into it. Like that seems like such a shift in mindset and kind of like, I don't know, just direction to be going solo and then be moving into kind of a community group like that. Yes. Maybe you didn't like the community stuff. <laughs> I didn't. I was just like, did we have to go to this? This is boring. Yeah. You wanted the content, uh, do it at your own pace and then yes, get out of there. Yeah. And yeah. you imply it to your life. Right. That's really the whole, and that's what I was doing. And then I think when I first, you know, left, I didn't leave under bad terms. I was, it's, it was taking too much of my time. It was yeah. the ROI wasn't there. Like I was, right. and then I got invited back for work and I felt like, Oh, okay. That's, that's worth it. So I was really, now there's a reason. There's a reason. And I, I liked the people that were there. There's more directors, actors, people that were creative there. And I felt like, Oh, I, I jive with more of these people. But before it was just like, I didn't really jive. And I was the, one of the younger people there, except for sure. Lauren. And I just, you know, it, it it wasn't fun. It wasn't, you know, enjoyable, except for the curriculum, except sure. I, I would go in. It, it's like I was going to study and then I was getting out. Right. Gotcha. Um, if that makes sense. I, I definitely want to talk about the getting out part because I think there's been so much done about, you know, your time in it, you know, all the different, you know, yep. how does this happen? How's this work? I am just curious. One last question about being in it, you know, now you look back and you can see, especially now that you've talked to all these different cult experts and you've studied and, and done a lot of research, you're seeing all these red flags retroactively, like the hindsight's total 2020, like, yeah. oh, that was crazy that they did that, or they said this, or they they really primed us to be ready for this in this way. Um, so with hindsight being 2020, looking back, like what can you remember what the first red flag should have been? Like, do you remember, like, if you, can you look to a point and go like, that should have been the thing that made me step away? Yeah. I have two in my head. Bowing. Bowing. Flat out bowing. I just Mm. thought, fuck this. Can you explain it to the people? No, (laughs) it was, there was like, you know, at the end of each class, it was like, thank you. So-and-so. And And you did like a tribute thing to him. Right. Like, thank you, Vanguard. Thank you, Proctors. I'm not, not, that's bullshit. Thank you. No, it's thank you. Thank you. Pre, thank you, Proctor. Whatever thank it you, was. Prefect, thank you, it, Vanguard. It, it, whatever it was, it was just like, I, it, did, it never jived with me. And, yeah. I, and I almost didn't come back on like day two or three. I was like, because of that, because of that. I was like, look, I'm not bound to this dude. I don't know who he thinks he is. I don't know him. Um, but the person at the time was like, just do this. And I got, and I, it was always a tough reconciliation between the sashes bowing. And it's ultimately why I left in 2003, because the Forbes article had come out. There was enough there for me to go. This is just weird. Yeah. I'll, I'll All those the, weird this, things. The if teachers this thing would pans say, out, huh? if yes, this pans yes, yes. out and this makes it through the <laughs> Forbes article, maybe there's something there, but I don't think it's going to get past this. It's, it's too weird to the world. And I agreed it was too weird to the world. So that's when I should have just been like, I'm out. I totally agree. All those weird things were always explained. And then we were taught to explain, you know, it's uncomfortable for you to bow to somebody because you can't pay tribute, which means that you're, you know, suppressive. You can't honor what somebody's built. Maybe Mm. you've got an authority issue or something, which, you know, may or may not have been true. But also they'd say, you know, you go to someone's house that ask you to take off your shoes and you don't do that in your house. You take off your shoes out of respect. So a lot of things that we were doing, you like you don't necessarily, you know, agree with it or understand it yet, but you do it because that's what we're doing here. Like you do it at the dojo. You take off your shoes in a yoga studio. That's just what you do, right? So what we're sure. doing here. So you kind of start to do these things slowly and accept them slowly. And by the end of the 16 day, it becomes normalized. And also everybody's doing it. 
you don't want to be single. Well, at least for me, I don't want to be singled out. Um, but also actually they get you behind it intellectually and then yes. never every- Hey, let's, let's go put our sashes on and take a class. Nobody <laughs> skipped to class looking right. to put their sash on and until out. you earn an orange one. You're like, this is amazing. I'm a proctor. No. Now I work so hard for it. But the other, I'd say two red flags I should have listened to is Mark told me about it and I was like, yeah, I'm in. And then the next thing I know, I had this woman chasing me around trying to sign paperwork to get the 20% yeah. off discount. And I was like, could you give me some space? Like back off. Well, you're not going to get the discount. And like, you're, blah, 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 and you're like, this is why you're not successful. Like you can't commit to stuff and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, that should have been a red flag. And then also on day one of the five day, which I talk a lot about in the book. And I think the vow also where they say um, you're going to be uncomfortable. And if you're feeling uncomfortable, if you feel the urge to leave, that means you're doing it right. And we've got to get in there and work on those issues that are causing you to want to leave. Like we're just talking about things. What's so if you yeah. can't talk about these things in a room, then you're not going to be able to face them in your life. Like that's, you know, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So you stick it out, which is the beginning of ignoring your intuition. So well, that's- you said it really well earlier too, like the idea, Sarah, that you didn't understand, like you don't understand why we do it or you don't mm-hmm. understand it. And that was the red flag to me. The first thing, because I was looking at obviously like I the the parallels. being the viewer is that right. I'm going there going like I've read Stephen Hassan's book. I've mm-hmm. like talked to, you know, hundreds of people that have been in these kind of situations and like, I'm going, okay, the red flag is when they said, if you don't like what you see, like the problem is you, there's something mm-hmm. there that you're being resistant to. Mm-hmm. And like, for me, every time that was the, like the cringy, like every time they would say that, because it was constant you know, it was, it was, oh, well, it's you, you have a suppressive thought. You've got this thing that you're trying to, to deal with and overcome. And that idea that if you don't like something we're doing, the problems you is like step number one of getting someone to be used to yeah. abuse. Um, yes. That was, it's gaslighting. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. My, my wife has a, she always talks about it and she'll probably get upset. I'm sharing it, but she, she <laughs> always, um, she always talks about one time I, I, I had already left our church and she was going to, uh, she didn't want to go to one of the services. And um, they said, you know, well, every time the Bible's preached, you can learn something. If you don't like that speaker, that's a hard issue with you. Like that's something wrong with you. And it was like, no, I just don't want to go, or I just don't like that person. And and that's, you see that two extremes and then lesser extremes all throughout these things, but it's the, it's that same process. It's making you feel like you're the one causing the problem and they're on mm-hmm. the side with, with the solution. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a couple. And then the other, the other big red flag that I saw was the the moving goalposts. Like yes. what, what is going to, what's going to work? Like what's going to get you, um, Sarah, you talk about in the book, like you were top salesperson, you were crushing all your goals, but they always found something to nitpick at and say, like, you're not ready to move to the next level. Mm-hmm. You're not ready. Like I, for, for your personality types, both of you are actors, like you're, you're obviously very driven, have these big dreams. Was that a very frustrating like antagonizing thing to feel like I'm doing everything and checking out the boxes, but I keep getting turned down for, you know, A, B or C this, this leadership role. I stopped doing yes, it. Yeah. He didn't care. I just didn't. It wasn't. Oh, it, I saw the, the paths in there and none of them really appealed to me except for the goal setting. Oh, and head trainer, like Nippy was going to be a like Nippy would have been, he taught, I'm going to pump his tires for a minute. He <laughs> would have been such a good head trainer, like the person at the front of the room that was teaching the classes and he would come in and teach ethos and do a class or two, but they never let him be a head trainer because he wouldn't jump through certain hoops. Um, and I remember just being like frustrated because they need somebody like Nippy at the front of the room. It gives them such validity I'm, to, I'm glad you they know, didn't. 
I'm glad they didn't, but like, what I do a, not that, care. And... That should have been a red flag that they didn't like usher him up that because Nippy at the front of the room, you know, the former college quarterback, I mean, got a pretty face and all that, all, and so smart and so articulate and funny. Like, this is the kind of person you want teaching a class. And they and they wouldn't let him. And they had like, oh my God, it's don't even get me started. It's not that they wouldn't let you. There's all these nebulous things that you had to do and you had to go follow. Maybe he wasn't willing to do it. I'm just not, yeah. I wasn't doing that. No, I, it was. It wasn't it, worth it. The, the path, But the path kept changing too. They kept yeah. saying, well, now you have to do this. the other thing. Yeah. That was <laughs> you have to do thing, X so. amount of hours. You have to be an EMP. You have to do da da da. And he's like, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm like, not doing are, it. You guys are idiots. You want you want him on that wall. You no, they did on that wall. They didn't know that. No, was but the they didn't. Thing. I know. We didn't understand yeah. why. Keith is probably these... threatened by you. They didn't want such a handsome man. Whatever it was, whatever it was, it was just there was I wasn't gonna acquiesce to to and I didn't want to go fight it. It wasn't yeah. like I had enough that I was getting out of it, my participation in it was at the point where I like, I found my niche in the company. That's what I looked like. I was working for a company and I was able to do other things. And that's kind of how I liked it. Um, And no one fucked with me. They kind of left me alone and, and I wasn't targeted. You know, I was, he wasn't, Keith wasn't trying to sleep with me. So, you know, in hindsight, it's probably in their best interest. They didn't have me near because when I did get near, you would have called out like you did, yeah. Which is, you know, right. that was that was. So, they, the, so when they're lying and they're doing that stuff, and they know to keep someone who doesn't jive with what they're doing, they were smart to keep me away. Right. Yeah, that was. Um, I, I had laughed because we were watching when we were watching the vow, and you, you were talking like basically right when you found out the bad stuff that was happening, and you're you're in like explosion mode. And um sniper mode is what we yeah. call it. <laughs> sniper mode, yeah. My wife kept looking at me, she's like, That's like you, you know, like when you're like, Oh, if I if you know, if I didn't have kids, I would drive over there. And she's like, She's like, Oh, that sounds like you. That sounds like what you what you say. That sounds um, like but, most people with a uh husband and kid. <laughs> right. Once you have a kid and wife, it's all all bets are like, off. I, I'm not a big badass or anything, and I'm not into bar brawls or anything like that, but I will fuck you up if you get near my family. <laughs> Right. I don't care if I lose. <laughs> I'm not even really in it to win it. Yeah. I have to protect my family. But I'm going to do it. Yeah. Bone in my hand. You might win, but I'm still going to fight you. <laughs> that's I'm, normal. I'm scared through Zoom. So, <laughs> that's uh, normal, but, though. That's normal, but, though. Yeah, everyone, that's normal everyone, response. Everyone who's a father and is going, yeah, I'm, I agree with what Nippy's. Yeah. Why is his name Nippy? But I agree with what <laughs> That's <laughs> sure. pretty much all the questions. That's Why is his name Nippy? Like, and I'm on yeah. his side. Yeah. I, it's funny. Well, Nippy, you knew, and they would say, well, Nippy really needs to look at why he's so angry and really work that mm, issue. I because... did. And I agreed with why I was. Saying. <laughs> no, but yeah. I'm just, I always put myself <laughs> into the mindset of somebody who's listening. This is like my own, like my own You're thing that I need to. Have... Yourself. No, 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 no. I'm not gonna, no. Don't be culty, Sarah. Not, Don't be culty. No, no. I'm a little bit cold. No, no. You guys are understand. I'm, I'm no, imagining it, somebody yeah. who's listening, who's still loyal to Keith who's yeah. listening to this and how they would perceive nippy and what and they would say, I don't care. I'm just telling you what goes through my head. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so now on that, other, so that kind of explosion, yeah. that leaving. So you say in your book, and I think this is amazing. I talk about this a lot with people is the idea of when you leave, you've got, I've always said you have two options. It's like a scary movie. You can get in the car, drive away and never go back to the campground, or you can be the person that spins around and goes and tries to pick up a bunch of people and take them out with you, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, or you put it in your book, I'm going to go, you can leave quietly or blow it up. And so Mm -hmm. I guess my, my question to both of you is like, 
why did you decide to blow it up? Like it would have been really easy to, to walk away and say like, that was an awful thing that, that happened. Let's leave it. For both of us, personal responsibility and what we had participated in. Number one, that, that to, mm-hmm. that has to be the number one thing on your, I've been a part of something bad. I need to fit. I need to fix the mistakes. Right. Number two, you don't get to do that. Mm. You don't get to do that and get away with it and then start touting yourself as this moral company of whatever, whatever punches that we have to throw, we're going to tell the world that you're not that thing. Mm. Right. And then once we started to do that collectively, we got dragged into a fight. Yeah. We didn't have a choice. Claire Bronfman got on a plane, probably a private plane, flew out to Vancouver a month later after the number one person in her company got branded with Keith Ranieri's out and well, Keith Ranieri's initials. Um, didn't ask how she was. President of the company didn't ask how she was, didn't ask how she was doing. They were all about self-preservation. Mm. And the self-preservation, that meant they had to take care of Sarah and myself and Mark and Bonnie, right? Yeah. Because they knew that. We had a lot of influence in the company. We're in positions of leadership and they tried to get her arrested based on a lie. That's when I knew, okay, this is a fight. This could be the next three to five years of my life, but my gloves are off and whatever I have to do that's within my power, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to hit it as hard as I can. Hmm. And that set us in motion. And really they set the wheels in motion of their own demise yeah. because once the cards were on the table and this is kind of really what we were betting on, um, they were going to be who we were saying they were far more than what they were accusing us of being. We were just people trying to get away from something horrible. Right. And that's exactly what played out. And it wasn't so much that we were right. We didn't know how right they were. It was a blowout. They didn't get a punch off in the court of law and didn't even attempt to defend themselves in law. And now they're trying to do it through the media and whatever. Nobody's listening because like they got the best, um, police force agency probably in human history in a civilization investigating them um getting resources and evidence and then they went through a judge in one of the best courts and they had a jury of their peers they had every due process that's known to man that's done at the highest level that we know in human history and it was a blowout Hmm. the jury had to deliberate four hours they had seen enough that this guy should be taken out of commission and Claire Bronfman should be taken out so they can stop abusing and hurting people. Right. It happened quickly and swiftly. It yeah. wasn't even close. So sorry to get kind of whatever, mm-hmm. but that's the magnitude of what happened. And yes, we were, you can say we were brave. We were mostly scared, mm-hmm. right? We were mostly scared making these decisions. We had a lot of lucky decisions. A lot of people that were there to help us. Right. It happened very quickly. We didn't have to do much. They dragged us into the fight. And when the, when the evidence came out on the table, they didn't even, it wasn't even close. Hmm. It wasn't even like remotely close that they were going to walk and have any of the charges not stick. So look, you know, it sucked to go through. I wouldn't change it. Um, but we did the right thing. We exposed and saved a lot of people, even though they're not willing to admit it. Um, and it wasn't like we set out to do that necessarily. They dragged us into it. So I'm sure you can call me brave. I don't really call it brave. I felt like, okay, we have to go fight this fight. It's right? the obvious step. It's, to it's, do yeah, this, we, yeah, we have to do this. And right. anyone in that situation 
the situation at Sarana would do the exact same thing. We had to go get a lawyer that was going to defend us. We had to go to the New York Times because they were threatening to arrest my wife, a three-year-old kid. Like, what did you expect me to do? Yeah. Right. And I know the truth is on my side. I'm not running from anything. I'm not hiding from anything. So, you know, we made a lot of decisions. And then, you know, by July, a month after we left, we knew we were in a dogfight and we knew we had to exhaust every single resource we could to save ourselves. The reason we even did the documentary in the first place was because we thought we were going to have to have some self-preservation on tape. We didn't know we were doing a documentary. I didn't want my personal life to become other people's entertainment. I didn't really want all that. Yeah. You know, it's not like <laughs> joy, but in order to vindicate ourselves, in order to show the truth, and all of it was on tape and documented. Right. So everything that everyone saw in the documentary, pretty much the court saw and worse. Yeah. Um, they ultimately didn't need Sarah and I for this to convict them. So, yeah. you know, we got lucky. You know, the, the universe was looking out for us, however you want to put it. But for me, it was, you know, I was going to throw whatever punch I, I could throw to to protect my family, number one, and then set the record straight on who Keith Ranieri really is. Sure. So can I, can I answer that as well, though? You're sorry. It was awesome. I just just went off. (laughs) (laughs) No, that was such a good answer. You reminded me of some things that I forgot about. And I think this is kind of the most exciting, if, if it can be possible, exciting part of the book when we wake up Mm -hmm. and, you know, then things move very quickly. Like my mom, as you know, as a therapist was like, I was, she was shocked at how quickly I woke up mm. and some people say deprogrammed or whatever. Like I was just, I went from being like, this is, you know, the bee's knees, then be like, no, he's a sociopath and I am mm. out. Um, Cause I could see it all so clearly very, like all these things that I had doubts about all made sense now. Like, oh, this is not who he says he is. <laughs> like mm-hmm. He's a liar. But anyway, the, the question being, you know, leave quietly or blow it up. I woke up, I, I knew that I had to extract myself. Um, and I don't even necessarily, it wasn't necessarily an exact moment, but it was recognizing that DOS was, you know, worse than I thought that, you know, sex was involved. And um, I was really angry also because I don't know if I've talked about this anywhere, but yeah, you mentioned earlier MLM, mm-hmm. the MLM vibe. So in ESP, in Nexium you weren't allowed to like recruit, use the, 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 the body of people for any other like thing, makeup, you know, mango juice, whatever, essential oils. You couldn't use that body to recruit for your whatever. And so that was a really strict thing. Like basically you weren't allowed to be in an MLM if you were in Nexium. And there was some rules around like when you recruited someone, like if I brought in you and you were like, I was in charge of taking care of you. So somebody else like Nippy couldn't recruit you for something that he was doing within the company and get commissions on it. For example, like, it's like, I, not that I owned you, but like you were mine. (laughs) Like I was taking care of you. You were my, I could have like, what, what's that? (laughs) That's the difference there. Sorry. No, but like, I I don't own you, but you're mine. You're you're mine. mine. (laughs) You're mine to have. See what I I deal with here? Oh man. I don't know. This is really hard to explain, but I'm saying like Nippy would have get in trouble if he tried to recruit you. It's like a non-compete with everybody else. Yeah. It's a non-compete. Yeah. And so when DOS was created and we were told it was nothing to do (laughs) with Nexium. And then women within mm. Nexium were recruiting my people, my coaches, my students, and not only Your that, friends, my friends, some of my very, very, very best friends into this thing that has nothing to do with Nexium. And they were getting 
pictures of their most private areas. I'm not going to say like anything on here. I don't know, whatever. They're, they're getting nude photos. And not only that, but like dirty videos and women that I'd brought in to Nexium that I love, some of whom are like, you know, my best friends and my bridesmaids. Okay. These women were being recruited into this other thing that had nothing to do with Nexium. First of all, that in and of itself was a major no-no, but not only that, okay, now, now it is part of Nexium, and Keith is involved and those photos are going to Keith for his personal spank bank. I mean, no. you have to understand the, the rage inside me when I realized that it wasn't even an option to slip away quietly. No. I was like, you, I don't, I'm sorry. I'm really like, I get so riled up That's when fun, I talk yeah. about it, but um, I don't know what they were thinking that I would be somehow okay with any of this, like on so many different levels. So blowing it up, it wasn't like we sat around and deliberated, it, you know, and, and trust me, my parents who watched me wake up and, you know, my mom wanted me to get out of the cult for so long. And then me being like, and we're going to go on the New York times and I'm going to did it. And they're like, are you sure? And like, what is this going to mean for your family? And you have a little boy. And I'm like, I, I don't, I mean, I, I just, it was everything in me was like, I, this is what we got to do. I was screaming from the rooftops, anyone who would listen and oversharing, by the way, is, is something that happens when you get out of a cult mm-hmm. or like you tend to, I was, I would tell anyone who would listen, the thing I was a part of, it was a cult and, and I was manic and crazy to take this thing down as soon as I figured all those pieces out. Was there ever any point? So I know like, I mean, Sarah, obviously you had the big wake up call, uh, Nippy, you were kind of in and out. Like you were already, you were, you were basically taking the good, leaving the bad, Sarah, you had big major wake up call, you know, with the, with the branding, with, with the whole Allison Mac, like you're at her house, like all of that was a clear wake up call. Um, was there any point you mentioned the book, like being nervous, like, okay, when I tell Nippy, what's he going to think? Like, is he going to, mm-hmm. is he going to agree? Is he going to defend the company? Is he going to, you know, like. There's all that. Was there ever a point in the beginning of that conversation happening of like, this is what we're in, where there was that kind of stress point of going like, okay, we both agree this is bad. Like, we think we should handle this in a different way. Or we think, you know, hey, we shouldn't go to the New York Times. Or one of us thinks we should do a documentary. One of us doesn't. Did it put a lot of strain as you kind of both did that hard work of exiting separately, but also together at the same time? They're not big enough to remember. Hmm. Like, I know that there was a couple. Um, that like, you know, disagreeing on what to do, but I don't remember really any, like us being at odds at anything. The only thing I've always felt a little uncomfortable about is having a camera in our home. Um, after a point, it kind of felt like I I wanted to reinstate some boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, particularly once I felt like we were safe, once Keith got arrested, I felt, I think we're safe. We don't have to do any of this documentary work anymore i wasn't really you know we've always been a little bit at odds about that but then i'm also kind of like i don't want anyone else telling my story um and you know um if you don't if you don't tell your story someone else will right um and i also feel like i articulate the lessons and take responsibility in a way where people can understand it and get some wisdom out of it and that became more interesting to me as time went on and whenever that opportunity arises, I tend to step up and want to be a part of that. Um, Past that, it's kind of the trying to extract the good and leave the bad and everything. So um, 
you know, I, I'm very interested and it's happening already of seeing what, um, and Sarah's too, ours together, our skill sets are in the open market. And that's been, you know, turning our negative into positive. That's been our, our mantra. So, um, to answer your, to answer the, the question, there weren't really any big moments that I felt like we weren't aligned. Yeah. You know, it may have been I, may have been about how to do it, but like little nuances, yeah. not big I, picture. Yeah, I remember like being on the cover of the New York Times. They wanted a photo of both of us, and I remember that you didn't want to be in it. And yeah. I don't think I think I like I wanted you to be there because I don't want to be there alone. But at the same time, I I didn't push him, I didn't push you to, or you know, or want. I was like, okay, but um, it was in, in the, the article. I, I didn't feel like, yeah, it was in the article. And in the, in the end, um, it was, what was like going to be it, like pointing to your brand. Like, yeah, yeah. Like there, there's no, there's it, it, in the end, I think it was good that I was by myself. Yeah. Um, I think we've made a lot of really good decisions. I mean, we made a lot of bad decisions when we were in and getting in and stuff, but like in terms of, as soon as we knew what it was, I think we made good decisions and, and we had a lot of good people appear, a lot of good people here in our life. Mm. Makes and me I'll, go. There's guardian angels, and I, it, it literally felt like, where did you come from? And oh my right. god, you know, it's it's like a it's like a beacon gets sent out when, when you leave something like Honestly. this. Even even a lesser like like I I I would not compare my background at all. Like I I know many people who've been through horrific things. I personally didn't experience a lot, but I see the, how the structure lends itself to a lot of abuse. So like I can't imagine coming out of an abusive situation where you feel very isolated and alone, your whole network is this, but it is true when you step out and I see it happen, people will come on my show, share their story. And like 10 people will message me going like, I'd love to connect with that person. Cause that's my exact story. And they're from mm-hmm. some other state or some other like area of the world. And so it's amazing when you do share your story, how many people do appear out of nowhere. And there's this community, again, a positive community that just kind of, mm-hmm connects all of a sudden yep. it's it's yeah. wild and even just getting to meet somebody like you i mean how that would never happen otherwise yeah yeah like uh, why would we be sitting here talking no <laughs> you know like there's no reason but it is this strange you know obviously i bet i wish under better circumstances and better you know <laughs> better lines of story that we would all be connecting but it's one of those things where yeah it's a it's a very powerful thing and and it is it's it's a brand new community that is healthy and yeah. hyper hyper alert to when, when things can get really bad. So um, I, I'm curious, like you, you already talked about, you know, and I'm glad you guys covered this. I was curious about this is like, obviously wanting to be, you know, actors, you're, you're working actors, you're wanting to build your own career, your own life. Never would have anticipated that you'd be famous for a documentary about your time within a cult, you know, like that's, that was not the dream. That wasn't mm-hmm. the goal, but I, I see you two leaning into into this into this story. I see you two kind of using your gifts as storytellers, as content creators, to help expose things like this. Um, after the documentary was done, you guys decided to do this podcast. Was that a conversation of like, okay, was the documentary our piece and we're done? What what made you say like, okay, we need to help just talk about this topic in general? Like, we we can keep talking about this because again, it's blown up the the organization's gone but you're still putting in the work and trying to help other people moving forward is it just another there's no other option we have to keep doing this <laughs> um do you want to do that one Nip, or you want me to I, I, let's see let's see how like you, <laughs> you go first at all <laughs> three two oh, one man. we'll sync um, it up there we go I think we're on uh, the same page you, yeah you know. I, first of all we were in we were in the inertia of no to everything after the vow 
Mm. Yeah, we needed to recover for a while. That was intense. I mean, it was intense, but it was also from our living room. Yeah. Because it was during COVID. It was during COVID. So it wasn't, yeah, we don't have to go anywhere. And, you know, and, and a lot of people have approached us about, you know, what our next steps are. The, the directors of the vow, Kareem and Jahan, have always been like, listen, you need to meet this person. You need to meet this person. You know, had, had the vow come out where there were screenings, you probably would have been meeting these people and there'd have been natural progressions about where you guys could pivot, uh, that sort of thing. And, and those conversations have been somewhat interesting so far. Um, and it never really manifest, you know, they're still, and they're still going on. So it's not like, you know, we're not having them. And then they, we were approached to do a podcast and I thought, you know, that every, you know, we all kind of been told too many podcasts. We don't want to be called people. And then I'm sorry. It got sold to, it got pitched to us in a way of like, you know, and then I heard one person say, turn your story into content. I can't remember. I heard it on a podcast, ironically. Um, and it said, if you can turn your story into content where people are, are going to your story and they're listening they're learning. to your story and they're learning, I thought, fuck, I can do that. Mm-hmm. I think I can do that. I think I can put We're still the same people, bites. right? Yeah. We're still the same people that wanted to help people. And-, and it's not an accident this opportunity presented itself to us. And to your point, I feel like you know, f- my first thing is who's want- who wants to hear this? Like, I, I where's the audience? Why would they, you know, and I think that's a natural and a good, we actually put it yourself. out to our Instagram you know, right. followers and said, do you want to hear more? And, and there it was, was overwhelming. Yeah. So positive people saying yes. And I said, like, what kind of things would you want to know? And we put it all in a document and somebody wrote to us, basically pitched us a, a show called a little bit culty She's mm. an ad, an ad um, she's in the ad world, an ad exec, and I basically wrote all the things we could do in a little bit culty. And, that with that. and then another person, person who contacted us to produce the podcast from Citizens of Sound come from a fundamentalist church group where they, that they mm. escaped. So it's like people who got it um, and had been through their own experiences of culty Assembled things. themselves they and assembled created themselves their own production team. Around <laughs> us. Yeah. I mean, literally, that's how it happened. That's how it happened. Uh, And then we realized also, could I add one thing, is that we have always been as actors, it's so frustrating being like not in control of your career. And now we get like, we're producing. We are producing a project that we control. I mean, I licensed the song that's our, you know, you can't. He just stroked a check. I, 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 that's Snippy's term for paying people a stroke of check. Anyway, I licensed a song from my friend Roy's. Roy is a friend of ours who says you pay someone, you stroke them a check, stroke them a check. Anyway, it's a new thing. That's a sidebar. Sorry to digress, Eric. Anyway, we we licensed the song, we produce this thing, and it feels so good to be in control of something. And also, like Nippy and I are having these conversations anyway, right? Like, why Mm. don't we just keep doing it from our living room? COVID's not over. You're doing it over coffee anyway. You might as well record it. Yeah. And and like you know, I I I love it. I love helping people. I love taking what I've learned and sharing it. It feels like a very natural pivot, and it's also we're three three and a half, almost four years out. So. So we're we in a different the, stage. Yeah. It, we, we've learned a lot. We can laugh. And, you know, that is part of the healing. Some people think it's inappropriate. It's probably not the podcast for them. If they're, I mean, you, you know, know, so everyone thinks. Not, 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 not everyone's going to like it. You can't. People don't like Led Zeppelin. Who cares? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Led Zeppelin of podcasts. 
Perfect. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not aligning myself with Led Zeppelin. I'm just saying that there's. It's fine. We have the quote already. Manage expectations. Put here. that in the New York Times right there. That's a headline. So, but oh here's one God. thing, Eric. One of the things that was really cool about we called it ESP. It was never really Nexium. Um, is we met a lot of interesting people and had a volume of interesting conversations with interesting people. If in, if ESP was anything, it was that. We just met a vast array of people and we got to talk and, you know, have some you know, talks about life and we get to do that now. We have access to a network of people that we get to interview and ask interesting questions and have interesting conversations. And they all seem to be relevant what's going on politically and what's going on. There's a lot of parallels. And I, to me, that always lights my fire. I mean, I, I like, I like doing that. I do that anyway. And if we can somehow, create a platform where people come in and get a little bit of insight and find out if their situation is a little bit culty, then, Hey, have fun, man. It's fun. It's fun to do. So yeah, what's, it's what's positive. Been, it's positive. Yeah. That's, a, that's another thing. It's very positive. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, it's, it's very cathartic talking through it and it's, it's really cool hearing, you know, even listening to the first three episodes that you put out, you know, you can hear, what you're still processing, what you're trying mm-hmm. to figure out, what, what you're trying to, to get. Like, I think the conversation with Leah, like talking about, you know, like feeling that guilt of bringing people into it, you know, like working through that, but, but you were doing it because you wanted to change their life, not because you were trying to involve them in a, in a cult or, or watching right. the bow and hearing those conversations happen. I think it's, I think what's been most helpful for me hearing that is, is you see that these people are real people like like you're sitting there yeah. going like because when you watch the vow it's a it's a story you know like yes it's a true story but it also has a narrative arc right so like by the end of the vow you're going like these are rock stars like superheroes like they're they're killing it you watch mm-hmm. leah's show you get that you're like oh they're a hero but then you get to hear them in an hour conversation and talk about what bothers them or what still affects them hearing mm-hmm. hearing the two of you and and leah talk about you know missing missing so much the support, you know, missing the structure, like, you know, for the two of you talking about like, this was people at our wedding. These were like people that we were close to, like hearing all those conversations is so incredibly helpful because I'm sitting there with much less of a, of a culty experience going, I relate with all of that. Like I relate Mm -hmm. to struggling with, Oh, this person doesn't talk to me anymore. I relate Mm -hmm. with having like this person was at my wedding and we don't see them anymore. I used to work for this person. They don't talk to us. You know, like it's, it's Mm -hmm. all of those things and all those conversations are really, really helpful. And I I appreciate the vulnerability that, that you two have shown in having those conversations. Um, And I know, you know, thanks for saying that. Appreciate it. It's, it's been awesome. It's, it's, it really has. I mean, and I know, my audience as well. Like that's the feedback I get for this show is that, you know, just hearing people talk about it, Mm -hmm. feel okay to talk about it. (laughs) You know, like if nothing else, that's been actually a tagline in our press is blowing, blowing the lid off the shame and the stigma, Mm. you know, like that's what, if we can do that for one person, great. Right. So meaningful, so much more meaningful than anything I could have ever imagined that we'd be doing at this stage in our lives. Yeah. Well, we set out, we set out to help people and we find ourselves there. We, you know, so I think if you, if you, if that's in your psychology and you and you're putting it out there and that's your intent, you'll eventually find, you'll eventually find it. No, yeah. we found it in a roundabout way, right. and in fact, it found us. I think in a lot of ways too, Sarah. And it's say? still finding you. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It still is. So we're going to lean get- into it until people tell us 
you know, the, the news cycle spits, spits us up and chews <laughs> us out, which, you know, and that's the other thing. I think another thing, Sarah and I are like, I don't, we don't, you know, not interested. We're fine. We got two kids to raise. We got plenty of other things that we could do. So it's not, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that kind of makes it, makes it work because we don't really have a dog in making a successful show. That's not yeah. objective. It's an objective is to have conversations and form and, and, and have fun. I and, will say though, I do have a, like just in the same way with Nexium when I was like, I'm going to go up this trade path and I'm going to get my green sash. Like, <laughs> well, you want to do it well. I do want to do, do it well. well. Like yeah. I didn't care. And then we got like some nice rating on the Friday and I was like, yes. And I was like, yeah. oh no, Sarah, don't do it again. It's not about that. But I do, but I do have that like streak. To- it's just, there's it's no material podcasting, but yeah, it, it's no, it, it really is. It's, 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 but it's also a, po- again, it's a positive thing. Like you look yeah. at those numbers going like, that's how many people are potentially being helped by this. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I know we're here here at the end of our time, I'm, I'm just curious about two things. I have two last questions. One, how do you navigate? You, you left this horribly controlling spot. There's a lot of recovery still happening. Uh, you know, there's still things that are going to trigger memories. You're going to have red flags. Like if, when the body keeps the score kind of stuff, it's going to, your body's going to react to things. You're going to, you're going to have these hesitations where there's no danger, where you now feel like there might be, you know, you can be more paranoid about certain situations. How do you navigate you know, these healthy groups that you see now, how do you navigate these potential healthy relationships and, you know, not be held back by the fear of getting involved in another situation like this? Cause I have to assume there's some party that goes like, could this happen to me again? Could I get connected to some group and, you know, find myself working this ladder into something that's not what it claims to be? Uh, I mean, I'm just generally staying away from groups myself Mm. still. Um, and that probably will be a long time before that feels safe for me. I definitely, my faith in general in, is restored in humanity, but I feel like I just, it's just a process like of, of finding the things that are triggered and triggers. And, and then sometimes they're just words. Like someone will say, you know, goals, the word goals is, mm-hmm. is a loaded word. And um, somebody who's a life coach, who I just did an Instagram live with. Um, we sent we sent these beautiful cards about walking in your power and worthy of feeling good and stuff. And this one says, I'm ready to be ready. And I was like, this one I don't like because of the readiness drills, <laughs> right? Just the mm. word ready. Like that's a normal English word. And it's got all this around it for me. So I, I think that's just going to take some time, but um, I don't think it'll happen to me again. I'm way, way too educated now um, in, in, in the instant, like and the red flags are so I just actually got a, t- a message from somebody saying they thought of me and they wanted me to check out. I'm like, oh my God, it's an MLM. Like, don't even, you know, I'm, I'm not even going to open the, e- I'm not even going to respond. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, you're not the person to pitch MLMs to. No, right no. no. And they're going to get an earful from me. And I think that's probably something that I've got to dial back. I'm very vocal and everyone's got to go on their own path around this to figure things out for themselves. Nobody likes to be preached to, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Did I answer your question? I tangented a bit. Yeah, I think. Yeah, you I did. Think so. Yeah. Okay. Staying away. Bit. Yeah, I think so for now. But I do like groups, and yeah, I, I don't know. I'm much of a joiner anyway. So. <laughs> right. You're like same old, same old for me. Yeah, <laughs> so. and also again, like like I say, I wasn't targeted. My the women were targeted, so I, yeah. you know, um, I, I I'll say the the silver lining to all to any sort of trauma is wisdom. Mm. It's the bar graph. It's the payoff. The more the trauma, probably the more the wisdom, right? You know, the more, um, 
you build a more palette to deepen your understanding of people, humanity, you know, questions to ask, you're no longer afraid to ask any of them, you know, um, before I put my time and energy behind anything, I need to feel 100% comfortable, not 99%. 100% my gut has to be on board. And if it's not on board, I will exhaust questions that make my gut feel okay about what it is I'm participating in. And there's no way I'm not listening to that again. And there's no way I'm not going to do something next that's betting on myself. Hmm. I'm not going to bet on other people to come through. I'm not going to bank on an organization. I'm not going to do anything. Whatever I want to do, I want to be able to... I want it to be something that I can drive. Right. You know, that's how I was. That's how I got successful in anything before. And that's how it's going to happen now. And Sarah, I think is on the same page and together we, when we're synergistic, we're, we're pretty, we're pretty potent. Yeah. I love um, that. Silver I, lining I of trauma. Is wisdom. <clears throat> I like that quote a lot. Is that an original nippy? Yeah, quote? that's an original. Okay. Nippy Wait, what, what, what was it? You know, you got to keep up, Sarah. <laughs> no, but which, yeah, this, this train's moving. This train's you moving. can hear it on the Preacher Boys podcast. Just tune <laughs> right. in. No, he said the silver, the silver lining of uh, trauma is wisdom. Oh, yes. And, uh, yes. That's, yeah, that's amazing. That, that's a Nippy's original. I, I have also, with, and I, this is not for me, but somebody who said turning your um, pain into purpose. Hmm. Yeah. It's fortune cookie. I'm going to steal that. But, uh, <laughs> but look now, now you've got, you know, you're putting out quite a bit of content. Your story has been shared a ton and I I'm thankful that you took some time to share it here as well. Um, Thanks for having last, me. last question. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I swear I'll let you go. Last question mm-hmm. is with the documentary with, you know, potentially, you know, new seasons of the documentary coming out soon, the book that, that's out, which is incredible. I mean, if you could have, someone who's consumed anything, part of your podcast, the documentary, if they could walk away with one thing, you know, what's the one thing that you hope someone will take away from your story? Was it one thing? Just one? Just one. <laughs> my, oh, mine, mine is trust your gut. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's been, that's, every time I've answered, like, trust your gut, your gut knows. It's in Yeah. There. If it doesn't feel right, it's probably not right, but that's not right. going to be my one thing, although I'm going to ditto it. Um, I'd say my one thing is like you're, you're not broken. You're a whole complete person. And it, it's, it's okay to go on a journey of self-discovery, but you don't need anything. Um, and don't get dependent on anything externally to feel good about yourself. You gotta, you gotta generate that yourself and mm. you could read stuff and learn and have mentors and stuff, but don't, I mean, don't join a call is an obvious one, but educate yourself as to what those things look like so that you don't get caught up in it. Amazing. Well, thank you both uh, for taking time to do this. I'm glad we were able to make it happen. And I hope it's yes. not the last time that we get to talk. Likewise. Oh, no, we want you yeah. on ours because we want it. We haven't done a, uh, you know, church. It's been a pretty, uh, pretty, been a pretty interesting journey on this side as well. But again, same thing, putting out the message, you get a lot of people just like a magnet, you know, that, that resonate yeah. with these stories, but yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. I hope everybody you, listening checks out the vow, checks out a copy of scarred, which is an absolutely phenomenal book and definitely check out the podcast a little bit culty. A little uh, bit culty. <laughs> I love how you guys say it uh, a little bit culty. It's, it's well worth your time. So thank you for Thanks, having sir. us. You're awesome. Come on ours anytime. Thank you for listening to the preacher boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, Please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.